0: Welcome to The Activist Files, the Center for Constitutional Rights podcast, where we feature the stories of activists, lawyers, and storytellers on the front lines fighting for justice and liberation. If you want to know more about the Center for Constitutional Rights and our work, visit our website at ccrjustice.org. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter, Frontlines of Justice, and we'll keep you up to date on important developments and exciting events near you or online. You can also make a donation to help us keep doing the vital work of supporting our partners, movements and communities. As always, don't forget to subscribe to The Activist Files and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And now, here's The Activist
1: Files podcast. Welcome to The Activist Files, the Center for Constitutional Rights Podcast. I'm Rafaela Uribe, a Birth of Justice Fellow at the Center for Constitutional Rights, and I'm here with Hina Sharma and Katrina Hammond-Azenoff, two members of the Ashley Diamond Support Committee. The support committee works to provide resources and advocacy assistance to Ashley Diamond, who the Center for Constitutional Rights and the Southern Poverty Law Center jointly represent in her case challenging the Georgia Department of Corrections failure to ensure her safety and provide her the necessary healthcare while confining her to immense prison. While we are Ashley's legal representatives, we are grateful that Ashley has the support of this committee to help her with meeting her material needs while in prison, to advocate on her behalf with officials, and to ensure that Ashley is constantly reminded of all the love and support she has on the outside. So Hina and Katrina, could you introduce yourselves to everyone and let us know a little bit about you?
2: Sure, I can go. Um, Thank you so much for having us. I'm Hina. I use she and they pronouns. Um, I'm also an organizer with Survived and Punished New York. Um, And I'm just really excited
3: to chat with y'all. Hi, everyone. My name is Katrina Hamanasanov. I use she, they pronouns. Um, And I am an organizer with obviously Free Ashley. And I do um, some organizing mutual aid work in uh, Southeast Michigan. So
1: very excited to be here as well and thank you both so much for coming to talk with us um to talk about your organizing with the free ashley campaign um, and all the other work that you do so can you tell us a little bit about the committee the the free ashley support committee and how it kind of came to be and how you all got involved um, yeah,
3: so the committee was um, brought together by our another co-organizer and our co-group founder, Kay Agabee. uh, Back in November, they um, approached all of us and asked if we wanted to be involved in creating a survivor defense campaign for Ashley. Kay knew Ashley from several years ago through organizing in Georgia and saw that um, she was reincarcerated uh, in an article that was shared on Facebook and then we uh, reached out to her on JPEG and asked if she would be interested in the committee coming together on her behalf. So um, there are seven of us on core team. And then we have um, other people that come in and help, like on a, like kind of like, a, not so much a one-off basis, but we have like graphic designers who volunteer their time. Um, just other people um, when we put out like asks on social media who have been involved, but that's our, our core team of seven. Yeah, totally. Thanks, Katrina. Um,
2: Yeah. And I think that started about last November. Um, So it really hasn't been that much time, but it also feels like a lot of time sometimes because, you know, depending on what's going on and, you know, I'm sure, Rafaela, you know, because you're part of Ashley's defense team, but it's just, yeah, like sometimes there's like speed, it, it goes more rapidly and sometimes things are slowing down and this is all, you know, a learning experience and process for us. Like, I think, I think for all of us, it's our first time formally being on a support team for someone who's incarcerated. Um, like I've, I had done, a, like I, in my organizing with Survived and Punished, like I've done like fundraising and, and different things and been in touch with people and building relationships with incarcerated folks. But, you know, to be in a very intentional team where uh, we were using, like, the resources that Survive and Punish has to, like, build your own support team, you know, which was developed by, like, Miriam Kaba and, like, other organizers who've been doing this for years. And honestly, just, like, paying homage and following in the lineage of, like, Black feminists who've been doing this work for forever.
1: Thanks for sharing that, um, because I think... Working, being a part of Ashley's legal defense team and then um, having you all like uh, develop your group and develop your own plans of actions and all these other things has really reminded me that supporting someone who's incarcerated is not just legal work. It's not just just what the lawyer does and can do in a courtroom, which is also limited. (laughs) Um, There's so much that folks need who are incarcerated there's so much that they're lacking that they don't have access to and that the work that you are are really doing is filling in so much that um Ashley didn't previously have access to without you all organizing and kind of like forming this committee um so we're as as a team we're just really grateful that Ashley has the support um Because we, unfortunately, we are limited in not only what we can do as lawyers, but also our ethical rules and all other kinds of rules. So it's been, and I know that Ashley also is super appreciative. And yeah, it's been amazing to work with you all. So can you tell us all a little little bit about how you individually came into this organizing work to support folks in prison?
3: Yeah, so... I really started dipping my toes in um, last summer. Um, I had done like a couple like organizing um, projects, I guess, before that, but I think I started becoming a little bit more disciplined in my like abolitionist uh, organizing and really infusing that into this type of work and just doing a lot of learning and reading. And then I joined the, um, the local mutual aid network in my area, and it really helped me Get plugged into my community in um, in Southeast Michigan really get a sense for what local needs were um, and connecting with other organizers in our area like uh Hwayan, who is another member of our team. Um, she's very involved with organizing efforts to help incarcerated people in Michigan. And um, then, you know, I've been friends with Kay for several years I met them in grad school and um, really, you know, I've always kind of been plugged in, just as like on a friend level, seeing like what the work work they've been doing. And then when they, they asked me to be a part of this uh, campaign, that's really kind of when I was, you know, able to uh, put all some of these things into action. And then also just, you know, building more community with this really great group of people um, and getting to know Ashley. And it's just really been, yeah, like what Hina said earlier, it's, it's, it seems like a really long time, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, it's only been since November, but, um, we've really done so much, um, in the past six, seven months. And it's, yeah, I've really just, just learned a lot throughout the whole process about just being in community with people being really, you know, just like disciplined with how you go about talking about these things. And it's always, always a learning process. Yeah. Um,
2: no, I appreciate this question, um, and I'm just thinking about how, you know, I, so I started getting involved in Survive and Punish New York's work, which, you know, our, um, uh, our kind of politics and, like, our uh, way of thinking is really about thinking about the intersections of sexual violence, criminalization of Black women, Black femmes in particular, um, and just how prison and like like uh, is not the answer for addressing domestic violence, interpersonal violence, and like all these things. And I think for me, like even for me to be drawn to that is because of like my own experiences as a survivor from when I was very young, and just seeing you know, what kind of happens in, like, families and communities when violence occurs and how, you know, carceral responses, um, you know, whether it's the police or, like, mental, hosp- mental like, institutionalization um, or just incarceration, like, none of these things actually do anything to support anyone. Like, it, it doesn't actually make the person who did the harm you know, accountable or to like learn from that, you know, it doesn't really help the survivor, like, you know, in Survive and Punish, we specifically think a lot about survivors who defend themselves against violence. And then they're the ones who end up in prison and then actually face even more violence at the hands of the state and of prison. And I think, so I think that's what really first got like drew me to that this work because just thinking about from my own experience, my family and my community in in New York, just really needing that necessary analysis of, of all these kinds of violence and the response to it. And so, but, but just thinking about, you know, like, so survive the punishes was my gateway, I guess, into like doing this work. Um, and then as I got to, you know, know more, survivors on a personal level who are incarcerated and just like trying to build that work I think it just like just seeing like all the like kind of paternalism and the way that people talk about like survivors who are incarcerated I just there's just like a lot of work to be done and and I really appreciate how you know being a support team is a very specific way of doing that work um, while you're still thinking on a grand scheme of survivors everywhere. Yeah,
1: definitely. Uh, It sounds like it's a lot of work. You're you're right (laughs) Um, that it's. I've been involved in Ashley's cases. I started at at the Center for Constitutional Rights as a fellow. And I started in October. And you all formed your committee in November. But it feels like so much has happened. just because of the nature of prison and how how violent of a space it can be, especially when you're a, a trans woman in a men's prison so what is what does it look like for you to for you to do defense or support committee work so
3: i I, this, I thought of a, a quote from Miriam Cobb, actually, and you brought that up, but um, she talks about how doing defense campaigns can be a short-term strategy to act in solidarity with criminalized survivors, um, how this is like just, you know, obviously one piece and part of like a huge puzzle of prisons and the, the prison industrial complex. And so our campaign and campaigns like Free Ashley are really um, a critical part of larger abolitionist aspirations you know and that like we help kind of garner public support for incarcerated people really working to show that people in prison aren't disposable or um invisible and you know throughout the campaign like one of our important angles that we've been trying to really uh infuse into it is just showing that like humanizing ashley and you know putting like on our social media clips of her talking and just encouraging people to write letters doing Political, political education around abolition and the brutality of prisons, um, all while trying to encourage people to meaningfully engage with the campaign, just beyond her name being a hashtag because she's a person and, you know, everyone who is incarcerated is a person. And so, you know, through our, like, abolitionist lens, like, we all believe that nobody deserves to be in prison, um, which can be a really difficult mindset shift, I think, for a lot of people to make, um, just because we also live in such a restrictive uh, binary kind of world where people really are shuffled into good and bad piles, essentially, Um, and where incarcerated people specifically are so constantly demonized by public narratives that it's really been important to um, obviously like open up a larger conversation about prison and abolition with Ashley's story as well, um, because it's all it's all connected. She's a part of this awful system and it's, yeah, we, we can't just talk about her without talking about everything behind her. Yeah.
2: Uh, thanks Katrina. I really appreciate what you shared. Um, I would just add too that. I think for me, what's of what some of the most important work that we're doing with the support team is really just, just uplifting Ashley's like agency and power as much as we can you know we know with like the nonprofit industrial complex and all these things it's like so it's actively taught to be like a savior right like white favorism all these things um and so for me it's really thinking about like how we've how much of that framework is internalized in the work and and just like thinking about how much people are stripped of that agency in prison um especially if you're a black trans woman and how can we at every, like at every little decision that is possible, like try to, um, check in with Ashley, see like, you know, what she thinks, what she wants and, and really remembering that it's not about what we think is best for her. It's, it's about what she wants. Right. And and that's like a fine balance, like we can like Disagree with her, we can try to like educate each other and like learn about where each other, where all of us are coming from. But I think, you know, like remembering, and I and I think also I appreciate your earlier point, Rafael, about like lawyers and legal strategy. Like I think that's often also so easy for people to be like, oh, lawyers are like the experts, so we just have to like listen to whatever they have to say or something. So I think for us, it's really important to you know, which we know is like a classist, elitist, anti-Black thing, right? And so just like, how can we center Ashley and make her feel that she has the most power that she can? While understanding that we're not going to always agree, you know, like um, something that I think people talk about as like abolitionists who are doing this work, like, you know, sometimes like the families of who you're supporting, you know, they're not abolitionists. They, they, They don't want that. So it's like, also negotiating like differences of values but if we only wanted to work with people who are already abolitionists like that's silly like then then we're just like letting other people stay in prison like it doesn't make any sense so it's still like about building relationships and building power even if it's not always like people are seeing eye to eye
1: Yeah, I really appreciate all of the things that you both said, Um, Katrina, when you were talking about abolition and how support committees um, really support the wider mission of abolition, and then Hina, you talking about um, how your support committee engages with Ashley as a a person, (laughs) which is what, like, she's a human being who's experiencing um, this extreme violence and trauma and a dehumanizing system, and I think Um, when you were both talking it just made me think about one of the things that I really appreciate about your support committee in particular and also just support committees in general in the grander scheme of abolition is abolition pushes us to struggle with the dynamics of people and to really think about people as full beings like nothing is ever it's not black or white it's not good or bad it's shades of everything in between and how do we how do we grapple with that in a system that is like you all said like very much good or bad you did it or you didn't you admit you did it or you didn't and everything flows from that when human beings are anything but that simple so I think that that I think that your work has really captured that dynamicism um, of abolition work, and um, really contended with it. And working with you all has has shown me that. In terms- oh, thanks, Rafaela. I,
2: I appreciate that. I also just going to add that, yeah, and I think it goes along with people wanting there to be a perfect victim or a perfect mm-hmm. survivor, and it, and you know, and if someone like makes quote unquote bad decisions, or you know, if they aren't doing things that make them seem like a helpless victim and they actually fight back. Like that's always, that's like penalized, right. That are criminalized for that. And so I think like really keeping that in mind that like, if we're only going to be hand like cherry picking who we're working with based on, this like narrative of who's the perfect survivor that we can support like that's not abolitionist and that's it's just not right I don't even know I was gonna say something else but I'm like oh I'm on a podcast
1: <laughs> I mean, no, it, makes, it makes no sense at all like none even people who have never been to prison or whatever like that doesn't mean that you are somehow more worthy or better or have not even done the things that some other people end up in prison for. Like, that's just not the reality. We're not all living in the same reality. We're not all navigating um, these systems in the same way. Um, and so it's it's bullshit. It's bullshit to expect that people are going to be experiencing the violence of the world that we live in, like in all of its, all of its dimensions, all the isms. And then you're supposed to just, sit there and take it and then hope that someone cherry picks you as the perfect victim to then advocate for you after you experience an immense level of harm. Like it just, it, it doesn't make any sense.
3: And I, I think too, thank you, Rafaela, for sharing that. Um, you know, a lot of our focus for our c- campaign too has been thinking about um, supporting Ashley after her release because there really you know, there's no system set up to help people thrive after they've been, um, released from prison. Um, especially if you come from, you know, like a, a poorer background and you don't have, like, you know, those resources to fall back on, it's kind of, you know, this, you're, you're likely to end up back in prison. Um, you know, which, which is what happened with Ashley, you know, she was trying to go get help and, you know, was, you know, got this parole violation and now she's right back in jail and it's, you know, that's the common trajectory for a lot of people who are reincarcerated. It's just they don't have these systems in place to help them thrive after um, after incarceration. And, you know, through our letter writing Wednesdays, we've been trying to highlight the stories of previously incarcerated folks um, or other defense campaigns, like with Kai Peterson. You know, he really talked a few weeks ago about he's like there's just there's no support you know it's like for a lot of people prison becomes their home that becomes their stability because it feels safer it's like well at least there's there's a roof over my head there's a meal like it's you know I, if i'm out then i don't have anything like it's you know I, there's all these roadblocks in the way and i think it's been important it's been important to just talk about how prison and incarceration affects incarcerated people long after they get out of jail, if they do get out of jail. Um, so, you know, a lot of our fundraising and just political ed too has been focusing on Ashley's support after release and talking with her about the dreams that she has for herself after she gets out of jail and just, you know, planning for a future and helping her envision that and really listening to the things that she wants for herself because the, the support doesn't stop after she's released. And I think that's a big thing about being a part of these survivor defense campaigns is it's, it's a long haul, Thing um, and that's I think that's just just an important thing to, to note.
2: Yeah, thanks, Katrina. I actually was going to bring up Kai too, um, and, and I really appreciate that Kai sharing with us as well. Like, you know, specifically because both Kai and Ash are black and trans, right? So, and they're in Georgia. So, Kai has talked about how you know having trouble finding employment having trouble finding safe housing like feeling like he, he he would feel unsafe where he was living because because of his identities and and how even though a lot of people mobilized to try to get him out um you know his image was everywhere like his name was everywhere he has talked about feeling like you know, abandoned once he's out, like like now he just has to figure everything out for himself um, and not thinking about what are the material conditions that he's grappling with as a Black trans survivor in Georgia, who's now formally incarcerated too. So it's like even more additional um, barriers to try to, just to try to survive, right? Just to try to live. Um, and so, you know, I also just want to uplift that he has, a patreon and he has a gofundme and you can also donate to him directly like he's really trying to um be able to support himself and his family he was just married which i was so happy for him you know so he's really trying to keep living and like you know he also has been so sweet about like actually like they actually knew each
1: other and so he's trying to um support her as well yeah. Thank you both for talking about Kai Peterson. I actually attended the letter writing event that you all had um, with Kai talking about his experience in a woman's prison in Georgia as a trans man and what he's been through. And yeah, it was just, I appreciate also that you all have talked about it being a long haul, because I think that it, it, to me, it makes perfect sense that a person who was formerly incarcerated would need a support group that would, you know, be in it for the long haul and kind of stick around because we all need support systems like that, even if we're not incarcerated. All of us are the people that we are today because of the support systems that and communities that we're a part of, people who have been in our lives for for a long time, short time, who have helped us to figure out whatever situation we need help with. So it would make sense that someone who's gone through something as traumatic as prison would also need that kind of support. So I really appreciate that that is a part of your like organizing ethos. And um, bringing, uh, talking about the fact that both and Ashley are Black and trans, Uh, I think it's a good way for us to segue and talk about the fact that this is Pride Month. And as part of our efforts to recognize the important history that uh, June commemorates, we continue in our mission to amplify the stories of Black trans women, both highlighting their leadership role in liberation movements from before Stonewall through today and understanding how trans communities of color are so often impacted by combined factors of marginalization, discrimination, and criminalization that result in a denial of access to healthcare, housing, employment, and other necessary resources and push them into informal economies and oftentimes prison. Um, In what ways do you think that Ashley's experience offers us a a useful case study for the issues faced by trans people in prison, um, in particular, Black trans women and femmes?
3: Yeah, so kind of what you already said, Rafaela, I mean, black women are overwhelmingly targets for state violence, especially black trans women. Um, And, you know, obviously, they're killed at disproportionate rates, rates, um, and because of the intersections of racism, transphobia, sexism, um, homophobia. And I think, you know, like you said, Ashley's identity as a transgender woman has only made her a greater target for violence. And she's talked very candidly with us and um, in interviews about you know, the the transphobic violence that she's faced in prison and her her safety, health, and mental state have all been disregarded. And obviously, like, prisons themselves um, are not conducive for any sort of healing for anyone, but especially for Black trans women. And, you know, we've seen that her pleas for safety were ignored. And, you know, she was placed in solitary the first time for pretending to be a woman. And transphobia and just anti-Blackness are so engendered in U.S. policies, in the media, in the makeup of prison populations, that it's everywhere. And so, you know, always talking about the fact that these things are all connected and just her experience uh, in jail has been so, so horrific. I mean, there's a legacy of anti-blackness that's, that's pervasive in all areas of life in the United States. And prisons are just one example of these reforms that have inextricable ties to colonial slavery, um, too. So, yeah, Katrina appreciate that. Yeah, I mean it's fucked
2: up. Right? It's, just, it's just fucked up. That uh that what she goes through just for wanting to be her, just like wanting to be Ashley, like she, you know, she has seen she's treated as someone who's, like, a sexual predator because she's trans. She's, um, you know, she's treated as, like, just lower lower than human. And we already know, like, correctional officers, like, treat incarcerated people as less than human. But it's, like, even, it's, like, more exacerbated because she's a, a Black trans woman. And, like, you know, it goes back into, like, the legacy... I mean the fucked up legacy right of like slavery where black women were not even considered to be humans who are ape like who, like you can't rape a, a person who's not like a person right so like black women's like sexual violence that they face as slaves and like post slavery like it was not considered real, and I think about that with Ashley a lot because she's literally facing that kind of violence in prison and it's just not treated as a real thing because she's not even seen as a human who can be raped and it's it's just really it really fucks with me like it really it's very upsetting um and I can't even imagine how she gets through each day and 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 like I it makes me mad too that to think about how like why does she have to be so resilient and strong right? Like, like this shouldn't, like no one should have to go through this and to have to fight for their lives like this, you know, like it, it, it really messes with me that, you know, she feels like she has to beg to be seen as a human and like, you know, and and like, and that's why she needs so much support with that. And yeah, it's, it's really, I really struggle with it. Um, and, and like, it's really hard to know that how, common this is right and like just like knowing how many black trans women are are murdered you know we we, there was just a really big march in Brooklyn for black trans youth and you know we're seeing across the country all these bills to like you know against trans youth and like all these like we're just like seeing it across the country and it's it's like yes okay there's like this legal strategy but it's like you know there needs to be a cultural shift right there has to be this cultural work of building communities with trans people uplifting people and 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 not in the sense that like oh we have to force like we have to educate people into seeing that like trans people are human like i think i don't know personally like i struggle with that because i'm like i don't know if we need to like spend so much time convincing people of other people's humanity i think we just need to make them be accountable or, or like you know like we just need to organize and build power in a way where it's they're forced to confront these things you know not in like a convincing I feel like that's like a liberal strategy like oh we just have to educate transphobes about like you know like we see that with JK Rowling all the time like she
1: doesn't care like you know I'm sorry no yeah I mean you're you both are bringing up valid points have been made. Um, you're right. It is it is really disgusting how to see how and horrifying to hear and see how Ashley has been treated. I went to the hearing that we had a few weeks ago for preliminary injunction in her case, trying to get them to place her in a women's prison uh, at the very least, if they're not going to release her. And just to see just to see the the, the transphobia is bare the covered up like it's 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 simmering under every single statement every single way that you can see that the people who are the correction officers are treating her the the way that they constantly misgender her the way that they are constantly belittling her and telling her that she is not a woman and like the way that they're often putting her on display to other inmates and just almost inviting more violence to her by othering her, by letting them know that she is a vulnerable person who is not protected by the system. And it's, like you said, it is it is heartbreaking. And also, it makes me angry to know that she has to fight so hard every day just to exist. And that's just... I think when we talk about pride and everyone wants to talk about how far we've come and marriage equality and whatever, like Black trans women are still being murdered on a daily basis in this country. So as much as we want to celebrate about how much, how far we've come, we've left the women who have been at the forefront of pride behind. We have not we have not honored all of the labor that they have put into this movement and also the sacrifices because they've sacrificed their lives. Like literally that's, that's what's happened. Um, And so I think, um, yeah, talking with you both and thinking about this, about how one of the uh, other attorneys on the team, one thing that she talks about is the discrimination to prison pipeline and how it's, that is what's happening to black trans women every day. Society is pushing them to the margins of society, no, like not able to find jobs, not able to find housing, not able to support themselves without being pushed into these real, into dangerous situations and then criminalized and penalized for wanting to survive, for wanting to live. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to, de- to deal with this and also just to see all that Ashley is going through. But I've been thinking yeah. about. Sorry, could I, something I add something?
2: In? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, thank you for saying that. I, it also just, you know, it's kind of like when people just like post an image of Marsha P. Johnson and then they're like, yeah, pride. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what are you actually you- doing? Right? Like, I think there's like this tokenization that's happened of Black trans women who've sacrificed so much done so much and it's like they didn't sacrifice by choice you know like it's you know like i i think about you know like i mean this is a little bit of a tangent but i even think about like with palestinians who are killed um they're called martyrs but it's like again it's not they're not no one's like being choked like that's not their choice it's like these are the systems that they're in that are literally murdering them and so, and I think that's also why I really struggle with pride these days. Like, I think especially during this pandemic, like I think, you know, we already know um, how the pandemic has exacerbated already like the, the harsh inequalities in terms of like healthcare, employment, um, housing, you know, who's even getting vaccinated, who feels safe. And so I think... I don't really feel celebratory, you know, like, I'm just thinking about all the people who've been lost, all the people who are in prison, still with like, rampant COVID rates, and they're not getting freed, right? That's another thing that Ashley has been so scared of, of getting COVID in prison. And so I'm just like, how can we say, you know, uh, like, how can we go to a a fucking parade with, like, it's, like, featured by Chase and, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, here's... Even, like, Ice tweeted about Pride and I'm like, y'all... Here's
1: the NYPD detain- marching down the street
2: with Literally, us. Literally, Ice detains trans folks all the time and it's, it's just so fucked up to me and I'm like, so I don't know how we can... I mean, I understand maybe if other people feel like they need to celebrate whatever they can but for me... I feel a lot of grief um, and I feel a lot of anger and I'm just thinking about how we can't leave people behind and even like in terms of like the, the U.S. having the vaccines and other places not like thinking about who are like the queer and trans folks around the world who don't even have access to this, right like I'm Indian so I'm thinking about like in India right like where people are Tying like flies, especially people who are queer, trans, homeless, sex workers—all these things, um, yeah—and and who, who don't have the opportunity to um, have the healthcare that they need. And like, it's like, it's like you know, systematic abandonment, right? Like, I think about Ruthie Wilson Gilmore talking about how people are abandoned um, on purpose, and 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 this, these are the conditions that they're living in.
3: Yeah, and also um, something you said, Hina, I think Rafaela brought this up as well, but just, you know, kind of valorizing this, like, almost like mythical strength of people who shouldn't have to be that strong in the face of such violence and racism. And we see this, like, happening all the time with, like, these active, violent rewritings of history just happening in real time, you know, like with Palestinians being lauded as martyrs or George Floyd being treated as a martyr. It's like these people didn't want to die they're they're not dying for it you know like they're they're existing and they're being killed and I think too like I you know I talk with Ashley on the phone a few times a month and you know every time she's like i I should not have to be this strong like people are always telling me that I'm so strong. Like, this is like, you know, I just have to keep going. And she's like, I don't, I should not have to be this strong. Like, this is my life. Like I am every day I am fighting and it's, you know, it's just hearing that is so infuriating and um, just, just disgusting too that, you know, there are people just telling her, like, you just get, keep going. Like, no, no. Like this is like, she, this this like strength narrative where it's like why are we why are we looking at that and saying like oh wow that's like something to be you know like admired in people where they're actively being broken down by the system and you know by like racism and transphobia and it's just like no we need to get her the fuck out of prison like we need to stop prisons (laughs) like you know and and we talk about you know the, the prison industrial complex and how just there's like you know abolishing all of it really like these overlapping interests of government industry that use surveillance, policing, and imprisonment as solutions. And we see this on all fronts of economic, social, and political issues. Like it's, you know, for us, like freedom looks like prison's not existing at all. So it's just, I don't know. It's yeah, it's just, it just makes me like really frustrated and, and sad um, every time I have to have to hear her her talk about that. How it's like she just wants to she just wants to sit in a room with friends and Feel supported and loved and be able to live her life um and not have her identities question every single waking hour of her existence which that's that's not a big ask.
1: <laughs> that makes me want to ask the next question which is what are your hopes for Ashley and other incarcerated trans people and what does um what does liberation look like? That's oh. a hard question.
3: <laughs> yeah no I just want to no yeah it is a, it is a It is a really big question. And I think, I mean, I said it like a little bit, but it's again, like I do have, you know, these perhaps lofty aspirations um, for prisons just not existing. And I think, touched on this a little bit earlier, but a lot of people find these kinds of ideas outlandish just because they simply can't imagine a world without prisons. But you know, prison is a human creation. Um, They have not always existed. So I, I really do believe in a future where they will cease to exist. And, you know, just being a part of this campaign and seeing that like collective organizing and care really can make a difference. And, you know, foundational work always happens like from the bottom up, you know, we can't really turn towards our governments to do anything because they're upholding white supremacy, they're upholding transphobia, they're upholding capitalism. And I think, you know, really there is, there is strength like in community and in, um, you know, again, this is kind of maybe a little like, Oh yeah. Like, I I don't think that. And I think like people, when people hear people talk like this, it's kind of like, well, how, like, you know, they, they want like a long list of like, well, it's like, how can you imagine this? How can you imagine that? Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I say, like, they didn't always exist. Like prisons themselves are a reform and you can't, you just can't reform these spaces of violence. And, Um, you know, ultimately our our goal in this campaign is is freeing Ashley from prison and being able to support her. Um, But again, like we've been talking, this has to be factored into a larger conversation about abolition and what those things can look like. And there's so many people who are doing the work, so many Black abolitionists who have, you know, laid the foundation for these kinds of conversations. And I think, you know, last summer abolition did start to become more of a buzzword. And I know for myself, like that was kind of like, okay, this is something I really need to get tapped into and like learning more about it. And it's heartening to see that, but also like, also disheartening to see how quickly like those words get like twisted around, but there's always, you know, people who are, who are doing the work and putting in the work. And I just feel a lot of really close community. And I'm very grateful for the people that I organize with. Cause I, I just learn a lot from them and yeah, but that's my ramble. Yeah, I think my hope for Ashley is
2: for her to have some healing, for her to, you know, be able to heal from all this fucked up shit. And also for my hope in general for like Black trans people is to like not have to be in a world where you need to heal, right? Like I, like, you know, what would it look like if we, I think about this a lot in terms of survivors, like, you know, the time that is lost in just like trying to recover parts of yourself that were taken away from you and to find that healing and community and joy and to be able to love, to be loved. Um, I really want that. And I feel like that's what, Maybe that, maybe that's what liberation looks to me. I don't know what liberation looks to me, but I guess that sounds like
1: a nice thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want all of the things that you both said for Ashley and for trans folks, for Black trans folks who are living through these this horrible dehumanizing system that we all have to deal with. And for Black trans folks to be able to thrive. Like, they're... I sometimes think about like there's so much more that people can offer us when they are given the space and the resources and support to thrive and live their lives authentically. Like there's just so much creativity and strength and intelligence and like magic of like Black trans folks that we're missing out on because our, the system we live in under our society is literally trying to kill Black trans folks and like that, that's just that's just not the world I want to live in but I think to wrap up this and this has been like a really awesome conversation talking with both of you uh, and I feel like there's so much more we could talk about but how do you how do you recommend to people that they that they get involved in this type of organizing and campaigning because like you all said this happened uh changing our world and our systems and our society happens from the top I mean, from the bottom up. So how do you advise people to become involved?
3: Yeah, I think just um, starting with a more like general question is looking what's happening in your area. Um, and that was the advice that was given to me when I was asking that same question was just looking up like mutual aid or like abolition and like seeing what's available around you because chances are, you know, there there is already the... Groups existing that you can get tapped into to be able to just like share ideas with people and ask questions. And um, with the mutual aid group that I'm tapped in with, they do like monthly like trainings about long-term jail support that have been really helpful for me, especially um, working on this campaign. And they do a lot of other really great stuff too. That's just like wow, like you know these are really great ideas and they're they're happening in in my area. And you know, Hina lives in New York. There's tons of stuff happening in New York. Um, I think I was initially like, Oh, I'm like kind of in a small town in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Like what, what's, what, what's there, (laughs) you know, but there, there is, there's people everywhere. And, um, I think during COVID too, just the internet was very helpful (laughs) with finding, um, things to get involved with. But, um, just with like Ashley too, more generally speaking, um, we have the reoccurring letter writing Wednesdays that are, going to be happening um well i think we've already done we're going into our fourth one uh june 30th we're having another one and we're going to be trying to continue those they've been a really great way for people to um, tap into our campaign and we've had like over 100 150 people show up to each one which has been really exciting and a couple of you have actually messaged our instagram like oh when's the next one like i really want to come and i'm I want to bring some people. So, um, even my parents came. So it's like, you know, they're very accessible for people who from all, from all ages, you know, it's, it's a very like accessible format. Um, you know, obviously being my way of ASL interpreters and things like that. But, um, on our website too, we have an event calendar that has been updated. There's petitions you know, we try to plug other survivor defense campaigns that are happening. So if people in a certain area see that there's something happening more local for them, it's kind of just nice to amplify those as well, because it's all like a network. We're part of a email chain of survivor defense committees, campaigns that are happening all around the country. So there's, you know, ways to tap in there. But um, yeah, also just like following our our social media. I think the letter writing really has been huge for Ashley, too. Um, Whenever I talk with her, she always says how much she she loves hearing her name called and just being able to read all those letters and um i mean she's so funny too like she's hilarious like every time i talk with her on the phone she's just she's like oh she's like everyone's like wants to hear me perform wants to hear me sing and she'll like do like a little like song she'll do like a little like riff on the phone she's like so it's just like it's it's, it's really nice to hear her like I guess not, yeah, hear her laugh, hear her smile, um, but those type of things too. I think really help with reducing the feelings of isolation, um, and it's a it's a really easy thing to do. And we have a form on our website where people can fill them out, and we can yeah, we can send them for them. If you can't, if you don't have access to or are not able to send a letter yourself, we can do that. So that's kind of a plug for that feature.
2: Yeah, you covered a lot. Thanks, Katrina. Um, I would just add that. You know, you can also go on Survive and Punish, like the national website. Um, there's a guide on how to form your own survivor defense campaign. Um, you know, kind of like do's and don'ts and even just like political ed about what, the history of these campaigns and why they're important and think different things to keep um, in mind when you're doing them, um, which we've used and we really appreciate. And also, you know, like I think just like, you know, finding out, I think maybe Katrina mentioned this a little bit, like, but like, you know, what are the jails and prisons in your neighborhood? Like, what are people doing? Like, are people, is there a jail support group? Is there, are there people, um, you know, locally doing this work? Like, I, I I think about, like, you know, the importance of, like, connecting to different communities that you're already a part of. And not that, like, things are going to necessarily be solved by, like, book clubs and reading clubs, but, like, I think, Uh, that's like a start right to even think about like you know like I work a lot with young people so like you know having like I would I used to bring some of my high school students to like S&P letter writing events just so that they start to learn about this stuff and and get exposure and so I think and just like recognizing that you don't need to be an expert to be able to try these things or start like I know for me sometimes I'm a perfectionist. I'm anxious. Um, and and I'm like, oh, I need to like know something perfectly before I can jump in. But then there's so much work that needs to be done. I mean, this world is a dumpster fire. So like if you just like, you know, even if you can, if you even make mistakes, like there are ways to be like accountable and try things. So I think trying to like not getting into your own head too much and just trying different things is.
3: I also wanted to add to you know when you were talking, it reminded me my my wife is a an eighth grade teacher, and for her um, students, ended up having a larger conversation about the campaign and um you know kids are really fucking smart and they have so much more empathy (laughs) than like a lot of people and I think it was just like kind of cool to hear like vicariously through her how kids were just like how could this like how could prisons exist like this is so horrible like how is our world like you know it's like kids already have these big ideas I don't want to go on a tangent about kids like I love working with kids but it's like they're, they're just amazing and I think that was just like really cool to see how 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 she kind of involved some like some some organizing on a smaller level within her like in her world and um that was just like really cool to see so there's there's lots of different ways to to get involved and I think yeah it is kind of like what Hina said too like it can be kind of scary like why well, do what if I don't know like everything but it's like no one knows everything and and there's always time to learn that's my two cents on that no thank you no one
2: no one knows everything but together we know a lot I love that line <laughs>
1: Yeah, I appreciate um, both of you um, sharing all of that and um, just hearing about your wife, Katrina, and sharing it with her students. Like, I think it's a testament to how much work the support committee has really put in to amplify what Ashley has been going through in a way that I think has been super impactful. So, yeah, just thank you both for all your work and thank you to the entire support committee yeah, it's, it really has made a difference in how I think as lawyers we're able to approach our work because the support committee exists. Um, so just thank you so much.
3: Yeah, I also just wanted to like shout out and acknowledge the rest of the team too. So K Boopy, Jamie, Hawaii, and LA um, for all their work. Um, another Miriam Kava quote that always comes to mind for me is like the everything worth that worthwhile is done with other people um, and they really are a community um, in this work. So Lots of love to them too, because we're all, we're all, we're all working. We're all doing this. So just wanted to give them a little shout out.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Activist Files, the Center for Constitutional Rights podcast. Just a reminder to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if you want to find out more about our work, visit our website, at ccrjustice.org. That's all until next time on The Activist Files.